Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where after the long, cold, snowy winter, we had spring yesterday. For a whole day. Well, we're kind of close to it today. It's well, a little and, cooler, but... Until it starts to rain. Yeah, but that's tonight. That We don't care about tonight. We're not you know, there yet. They actually asked if there was snow in the forecast. Well, that's because... It's Anch- Cleveland. An- anchor woman freaked out, but, you know. <laughs> it's getting colder. <gasps> Could there be snow? Oh, no. And as the weather guy said, no, let's not get crazy. Yes. It is actually spring. And this is one of the three seasons as to why we live here. Well, we could either call it spring or we could call it the start of weed season because holy cow. Well, you know, you need to get on that. Yeah, thanks for that. No problem. (laughs) Hey, you know, before we jump in and talk about F1, I want to talk really quick about an experience we're having with a product over in the Bloke and the Bird test lab. Um, We have been uh, testing and playing with various components of Wink's home automation infrastructure big picture thing mm-hmm. and um we get an email from them today we we currently have uh their hub tied into a lock and uh the garage door sent the ascend garage door sensor which is not yet available we have a pre-release version that's working pretty well well it was um <laughs> and one of the lighting controllers and i got an email from them today that in essence says that they bricked our controller. They did. Apparently, they had a security update that was so secure that it made the Wink Hub not talk to anybody. Now, well, you know, I, I got to at least give them credit for recognizing that security is an issue and needs to be a concern because with all of these Internet of Things type products, that has been one of the big concerns: is that manufacturers are not securing their stuff. Um, Obviously, there's a limit as to how you lock it all down. Um, So we will be sending our hub back to them. They're sending us a prepaid box um, to send to them where they will be either replacing or fixing the issue. We're not exactly sure what they're doing to our hub. Um, But we'll be getting a new one. And they they gave us a nice little credit over to their store. Um, Oh, I didn't tell you. Okay. So I went shopping in their store. Mm Mm-hmm. And was looking at various and sundry items, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how much of their store is over what the credit is that's given to us. Well, yeah. Well, on a whim, because I was looking for coupons and see if I could stack some discounts or whatnot, um, I went over to the Quirky site, where mm-hmm. we originally bought our Wink stuff. Yes. And so, for example, the overflow sensor that's available on Quirky's site that you know, we'll let you know if something has overflowed. Like, yes. You know, your basement. Moisture and, yeah. Basement flooded, that kind of a thing. It's $60 on the Wink site. Mm-hmm. It's $30 on Quirky's site. Wow. Now, you know, I got to say this. Between Wink and Quirky, and I think for the most part we've been dealing with Quirky, not so much Wink. Customer service-wise, they've been fantastic. Yeah, Have you had the opportunity to call Quirky's customer service? I have not. I've called them twice. You get an actual human that 
knows stuff. <laughs> actually stuff. knows the people that they're talking about because we were in that pre-test program for the yeah. ascent knows that pro knew the person that was there no problems all of that could answer actual questions it was incredible fantastic so we'll we'll see how quickly and how well they uh respond to this goof that they have made and, and get us back online um but so far, we've been happy with them. We're even talking about, again, expanding the infrastructure that we have in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about that in one of the dead zones of the season. I think we've got a few three-week breaks that we'll be having to pull things out of the test lab to review. Yeah. So. This was not one of those times. This was busy time. It was. You know, we, we had the, this short gap between China and Bahrain, the, as everybody likes to remind us, the last of the flyaway races, where I will be, I'm, I'm wondering if you knew this, but I am guessing, I haven't looked it up to get the official ruling, that at Bahrain, we will see the youngest ever driver to drive at Bahrain in an yeah. F1 race. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny you mention that. Um, yes, because Max Verstappen is there, we will have the youngest ever driver at Bahrain. And whatever he does will be phenomenal because it's the youngest ever. However, and I'm going to fast forward for just a minute because I read a really cool article about it. Um, Max Verstappen had a bad day yesterday. Um, this would be qualifying for Bahrain. Yes. Um, he didn't have a very good qualifying, but it's – in the grand scheme of things, the press is not going to crucify him for having a bad day. No. Um, however, Daniel Kvyat had who, a worse day. Had a worse day, <laughs> granted. Um, but he's only twenty. I mean, you kind of forget some of these things because he got called up to the majors very early mm-hmm. um, with the departure of Vettel. He's only twenty years old. This yeah. is his second season in Formula One. Period. The end. And, I think Carlos Sainz is also only 20, though. Yes, but focusing on Daniel, who had a bad day yesterday, um, the story was that had he still been at Toro Rosso, had Vettel not jumped and he mm-hmm. had still been at Toro Rosso, nobody would have given a second thought to him having a bad day yesterday. Yep. But because he's now in the limelight in Red Bull and having a bad day, and not all of it's his fault. I mean, mm-hmm. he had... It was there's some reliability issues, but that combination now puts him squarely in the crosshairs of everybody asking, "Is he is he ready? Is he right for this? Is he really a good you know? Is he good enough for Red Bull?" And so, talk about putting pressure on somebody when truly everybody's allowed to have a bad day. I mean, Hamilton had a whole bad season, well, you know, when Nicole dumped him. Th- this really isn't new, though. I mean. It, it was very similar to what was it, 2013, when Sergio Perez moved from Sauber up to McLaren, and there was a lot of talk over the fact that, you know, moving from Sauber, where just staying up in in top five and maybe occasionally snatching a podium is considered a big, you know, that's a big deal. That's a major accomplishment. You head over to a team like McLaren, which up until this year, the expectation was you are one or number two and everything else is a failure. Mm-hmm. 
And how is he going to be able to handle that? How is he going to be able to produce? And, you know, could he handle that kind of pressure? And we see what McLaren thought of him, you know, given the opportunity to bail on him and take Magnuson instead. Right. And then so, Magnuson didn't even last oh, two seasons. Well, second season. Magnuson would have if it wasn't for the fact that Fernando came along. If Fernando wasn't available, you'd probably still be looking at, at, at a uh, Button-Magnuson pairing there. Mm. Because – and they freely admit Magnuson did extremely well. That's why they kept him on. They didn't want to lose him. Um, and uh, it looks like McLaren now has another drive, promising driver coming up in GP2 ah. um, that will also cause them issues as to what they're going to do with their drivers next year. Well, I think we've got some retirements happening. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. But, you know, before we get there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump there, but you had to lead with the whole Verstappen thing. So. Yeah, well, okay. Before we get there, in the further ridiculousness that seems to be being uttered by Red Bull's bearded leader, bearded leader lately, in the lead-up to this week's race, I'm guessing maybe... Christian Horner has realized that coming out and saying repeatedly that if we can't get a good engine, we're going to take our energy drinks and go home <laughs> maybe wasn't a good idea? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't just pack up your tires and leave. <laughs> now he's saying that, well, this threat that we've been making that that we might quit, we're, we're really we only did that to – to try and uh, get Re uh, Renault to step up. And, you know, we really needed them to step up their game. So by turning around and saying that if we can't get a good engine that we were going to leave, it, it was just in the hopes of prodding Renault to do better. Really? Wow. That's the best you could come up with. Wow. I, I don't think that I, I mean obviously the spin engine at Red Bull is going a mile a minute but I don't think that that's the way it works yeah do better or we're gonna leave but that might solve all your problems yeah I don't think that works that way well you know the bottom line is I think Red Bull is realizing Red Bull leadership is is realizing that um, when you're a team like they are and you're partnered with an engine manufacturer, jumping up and down and saying, we're going to leave, we're going to leave, we're going to leave, doesn't really get the kind of fury and excitement and support that Mercedes doing that would. would. And I think along the same lines, Red Bull was, was making a calculated guess that by going in and, and saying and leading this charge that we need to level the field or we're going to leave and all this other stuff, they assume that, Renault would jump behind him. They assumed that Ferrari would jump behind him, and they were hoping that McLaren would jump behind him. Mm -hmm. And instead, McLaren is doing what apparently they normally do when things aren't going well for them. They stick their nose to the grindstone, and they work harder. I mean, you can't argue that. McLaren has never once come out and said anything negative about the performance of any of the other teams that have happened this year in relation to their terrible performance this year. No, And, and you got to give them credit for that. Yeah. I mean, they definitely are, are being honorable about the whole problem. 
Um, I mean, they've got issues. They've got serious issues. They've made a couple steps forward. They've also made some steps backwards. But they recognize that their issues they, and they're and, in control and, and of their they're own not. Fate. It, it's not Mercedes who's who's giving them those issues. You know, every time Christian Horner keeps opening his mouth and the "woe is me," Mercedes is so much faster than me, and and how 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 awful that is. I this is I, I realize I'm about to give you the biggest disconnect. Um, but what always comes to mind is that scene from the American president when um, the guy that plays the president stands up and he finally gets it. He finally is going to do it. Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. That's the one I'm thinking. I'm like, Michael somebody. Um, he stands up and he's finally get it and he makes this great speech and he says something about Bob Rumsfeld, the guy that was mm-hmm. going to challenge him. It, his only desire is to tell you why your lot in life isn't what it should be and who's to blame for it. And that's always what comes to my mind when I listen to Christian playing this, like, woe is me thing. Because when he's not on top, when he's on top, it's like, you know, we're superior design. And, and, we, and the hell with everybody else. And the hell with everybody else. But when we're not on top, it's always the idea of I'm looking for somebody to blame for the fact that I'm not out front concept of when i'm doing well it's by my own abilities but when i'm doing poorly it's everybody else's fault it it can't possibly be because there's problems with the car that they didn't think or want to accept was an issue because yeah and the problems are greater than their engine they have brake problems well they have brake problems they obviously have aero problems and, and overall handling problems that are related to the chassis design when the only other team that is running the exact same engines are right up there with Red Bull. Yeah. The and junior last- team is not supposed to be that close. And last year, Toro Rosso was not fighting with Red Bull mm-hmm. for placement on the grid. Now, you know what we haven't done? We haven't talked about Marusha. We haven't talked about China. We have not. You know, there was a race there last week. There was. And we recorded before the race happened. And, again, because we haven't talked about Madame Marusha, let's talk about how they did, because we like to start at the back. Well, actually, we have a soft spot in our heart for Madame Marusha. Face it. Yeah, we need to reach out to them. (laughs) Um, But uh, Manor came out, and they actually – this is one of these under – recognized accomplishments given what's been going on with the team and yes they're running last year's chassis and last year's engine but both cars finished the race mm-hmm. something that lotus couldn't claim <laughs> well okay but was lotus's problem with finishing the race all lotus's fault uh it was mechanical yes it wasn't because no, it was not because of damage, which which we'll get to later. Okay. It was a mechanical issue. There are still teams having mechanical problems. And again, in this respect, Manor has a little bit of of an advantage because this is an older engine, so there is a bit more reliability. And I'm assuming that you know it, it has benefited from the full 2014 set of research, even though it's a 2014 engine. 20. 20- 14 car 
Right, but the car isn't necessarily what's breaking. It's the engines that are breaking. Well, true, but are they running last year's engine, or are they running as far as we know, they latest are, engine? As far as we know, they are still running a 2014 engine. The 2014 chassis w- paired with a 2015 engine is slated now, Manor is saying, August. Okay. Uh, they're targeting around the time of summer break, which I, honestly I'm, I'm kind of disappointed by. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's the, the problem is that's normally around the time of year that the teams are going, yeah, we're, we're, we're writing off the rest of the season. We're going to start focusing on 2016. So for them to turn around and say, okay, that's when we're bringing our 2015 car in. I know they're ne- they're, they weren't going to be that competitive, but by going in and being that late in the year, kind of that's troubling. Well, actually, what I would think of it in terms of, and I'm hoping that the boffins at Manor Marcia are thinking the same way, and I can't imagine that they're not. They're thinking of that as more of the prototype for 2016's car. That's my hope. As opposed to, like... Because um, they've got to get their development cycle in sync with the seasons. They really do. Right, but... It was Eddie Jordan, I believe, talking about the Ferrari rise and the Mm -hmm. resurrection of Ferrari. And he made a comment about that at some point you have to stop trying to fix what this what the current problems are. And you put a stop to that and you accept where you are and then you can you start with a clean slate and you start redrawing. Yeah. And that that he believes that Ferrari did that first. And that's why they're on such a trajectory right now. Um and I think that Manor will benefit from that piece of information, that that concept of we got to get through this season. We've just got to – all they got to do right now is survive. The, the, well, Ferrari's issue – yes, they all Manor needs to do is survive. I think there's a little more to it than what Eddie said. Honestly, I think there was a psychological change that happened over at Ferrari. Oh, well, there was. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, do you have the... We do have the comments from Maurizio pre-race. We'll get to them okay. a little later. So I don't want to get too <clears throat> far down that road just yet. I also read an article this week talking about the difference between Will Stevens and Roberto Mary. Yes, there was a lot of talk about that. And apparently BBC did a whole write-up over don't slag Will Stevens for paying his way in F1. Well, exactly. Because... When you're in, and the the summary of the article I read, which happened to be on Sky Sports, so it was a little bit mm-hmm. briefer. Um, one of the the points that they made was when you're that far back in the grid, your only actual competitor is your teammate. Yep. And Stevens is out driving Mary. Yes. And that's important. It's important for what he's doing and where he is on the grid, and it shows he could be a promising. St- star well it's more than just that though because if you remember his actual debut in abu dhabi Mm -hmm. um his qualifying time was a half second off of kamui's time right who was his teammate at the time keeping in mind that kamui was relatively familiar with the car granted it hadn't run in two races so nobody knew what actually was decent on it but Kamui was familiar with the car. Kamui was a much more accomplished driver, Formula One driver, than Stevens was, who had never been behind the wheel in an F1 car. Right. Stevens shows up, never been behind a wheel, never been to Abu Dhabi, never done any of that stuff, and he's a half second off. 
that's a pretty good showing for him given the situation. Yeah, and he's continued that. And, of course, now that they got both cars home in China, mm-hmm. I mean, that's outstanding. It's a lot of data points for them. It's a lot of information. But it's also just a testament to the Phoenix-like rising that Manor Marisha is actually doing. I also noticed, and I hesitate to say this, but Bernie of the Bad Hair Bernies didn't have a whole lot to say about that was negative about Manor Marisha this past week. So I'm not sure you, he was in China. So do you think that maybe he could have shut up about it for a little bit? You know something we'll see? Uh, Sunday's race in Bahrain, we're actually going to hear from Bernie. Yes, uh, we are. Eddie Jordan will be sitting down with him. So we may hear more from him. I, I wouldn't quite say that, well, maybe Bernie's coming around because I just don't think Bernie was there. Ah. So Well, and even if he was present, he may not have been there. So the other bit of interest and excitement that really came from this race, and, and it was, was there was, granted he was having some issues, but there was a very good, very close multi-lap duel between Jensen Button and Pastor Maldonado. Yes. Now, okay, Pastor ended up back there because of some of his own problems. And I think it, it, it kind of goes to Pastor's issues. I mean, let's face it. He can be a good driver. He ended up – part of the reason why he got his seat was because he won GP2 championship. He is a Grand Prix winner, got that car in the first place when it had absolutely no business being there. But he's more prone to these ridiculous bouts. So the fact that Jensen was brave enough to take it that close to him and keep it that close to him, and they both drove cleanly for as long as they did, was fantastic. And amazingly enough, the incident that ended it wasn't Pastor's fault. It was, of all people, it was Jensen's. And Jensen came out, because that's the other big difference between Jensen and Pastor, is Jensen came out after the race right away. It's my fault. I got too excited, and I, I, I did it. It was all me, and he took a penalty for it. If it was Pastor, you know he oh, would have blamed would... everybody but himself. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the way Pastor is. Pastor is an incredibly inconsistent driver. Well, you know, Andrew Benson, he, he sums it up pretty well. He says, you know, Pastor's an enigma. Uh, he's a genuinely fast driver and on his day can look world-class. But that day comes rarely, and he is just as prone to a red mist that makes him look like an incompetent amateur. Maldonado's been at this too long now for there to be any realistic expectations of him changing. It seems that, with him, the good and the bad are inextricably linked as a package. Mm -hmm. And I think that sums it up. Yeah, perfectly. But it was some fantastic racing between the two of them that, granted, Pastor never should have been there in the first place. Right. (laughs) But... You know, for a race that was touted as being rather boring yeah, um, and rather dull, there were some really interesting and some great passes. Yeah, and then, of course, we had the great comments from Kimmy. Oh, yes. Um, Dear Kimmy. Speaking of the McLarens, you know, it it, it started with this one. Come on, get this McLaren out of the way. And then I think later on, and and this was when he came up on the – uh, Jensen uh, pastor duel with Alonzo right behind him. 
And I think at that point he thought it was funny. It sounded yeah. like he's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was that. But as much as I want to jump into the race, we've got some pre-race comments that in the U.S. I don't think people got. And it really, I think, set the foundation for some things that happened later in the race that we're, everybody is talking about. So right. so the setup for this is going into the Chinese Grand Prix, mm -hmm. we had Hamilton Rosberg 1-2 on the grid. Mm -hmm. And the third was Vettel. And Vettel in the Ferrari has been showing really great speed. So this leads to an interview with Nikki Lauda about how they approaching the strategy because they actually had a real threat. Yeah, this is uh, David Cothard doing his pre-race grid walk. Uh, coming up on Nikki as uh, they're both on the grid. So uh, let's uh, jump into that. Nikki, there's some talk about uh, you having to split the strategies on your cars here to cover off Ferrari. How are you uh, handling that? We had a strategy meeting this morning for about half an hour. I was so confused that I can't tell you what the outcome was. The drivers were listening. They didn't say much either. So there are so many different options because it all depends on how the race will go on, how far we can drive away, it's fatal in the middle, between the two Mercedes, you can't tell you now. Frank, as always, thank you. Well, if Nicky Lauda doesn't know what's going on, there's no hope for any of us. And little did we know at the time that Susie Perry's comments right there explained the whole situation. Exactly. And what we were about to see. Exactly. So basically what Mercedes decided to do is they ran a split strategy, which is completely different with, from what they've done in the past. It has always been the two cars run on the same strategy when it comes to tires. Yeah, we'll pit whoever's in the lead first, and, and they get the choice of the tires and the pit times. Um, but Lewis and Nico, they're going to race, and we're going to treat them equal. This time they decided, because there was this threat coming from Sebastian, that they weren't going to run the same strategy on both cars. Somebody was going to have to cover Sebastian from the back. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this, Nico got a little upset. Well, I think that, I, and my bet is, I, because obviously I wasn't at the driver's meeting, they probably said if by this point in the race, the person that is in the lead can stay there and the person in second or third will have to deal with Vettel. That's my best guess, because I don't think that Mercedes was declaring that Nico had to be second. No, I don't think so at all. Um, but actually, should, should we just jump into Nico's comments before we, we try and explain any further? Sure. Post-race, you know, it was, it was a Lewis-Nico 1-2 with Vettel third. Post-race, Nico made his way around the pen to the various news agencies and expressed his opinions well during the race while this uh, things were going on he kept radioing back in to his the pit wall could you make lewis go faster yeah i didn't want to jump in too much into that until we had nico's comments the the ones that we've grabbed are post-race nico talking to jenny gal and where things stood um and it actually it started in the post-race press conference nico's comments and some responses that lewis had um that lewis was only thinking about his race so let, let's have nico's comments first 
I'm frustrated, yes, because it compromised my race, you know, and that's a fact. Um, it put me into risk with, uh, with Vettel, and it was a scenario that we discussed pre-race. We went through it in detail. Um, that uh, for the team, that's not a good thing because it will seriously compromise the guy in second place, and it put me under risk uh, from Vettel. Um, and he did try and get me in, uh, with an early pit stop, you know, and um, and then my race was sort of finished. I covered him, so that worked out okay, but then in my battle with Lewis, it was over because um, the stint in the end was just way too long for me. Do you think it's fairly unsportsmanlike of Lewis to have done that to you in the race? Well, you're now assuming that he did it on purpose, um, which we don't know. So you're obviously going to go and sit down with the team and try and find out what happened. Lewis is probably never going to sit down and say, yeah, I completely did it on purpose. So you're going to have to look at the data, his data, to work out exactly what happened. Is that the case? Uh, for sure, yeah. We need to have a discussion. Uh, there are some, some facts um, which indicate that he definitely compromised my race. Um, for example, he stated that he was just thinking about himself. Um, and, you know, he's a clever guy. Um, and we, uh, we went through this exact scenario in detail before the race. You know, the best possible race for the guy in front is to push the guy behind into uh, close to Sebastian Vettel because that will then put him at risk with Sebastian Vettel, which happened to me now. And, uh, and I had to cover him with an early pit stop, and that was it. And I was not a threat to Lewis anymore because my tires were just shot then after that because uh, the stint was too long um, in the last stint. So, and the other, the other facts that we have is obviously Lewis's pace right when we pitted. It was, uh, where did he pull that out of the bag all of a sudden, you know? Um, those are the facts that we need to discuss. What do you do from here? How do you fight back? What weapons can you use? Uh, 500s in qualifying. That would be a very useful weapon um, because that, uh, that obviously put me on the back foot this weekend, you know, and starting when you're second, then it's always, uh, you're always, yeah, it's not much, it's very difficult to, to make something happen. Um, so 500s in Bahrain would be extremely useful. Is this an issue now? Is that what the media are going to say? Is that what the likes of us is going to say that, you know, the wall between you two is back on? Is it as serious as that? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We need to do. We need to see after the, after the discussion that we have. So to start with, to answer the last question first, yes, apparently it's now an issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this all stems from, I guess it was around the second stint on the tires. Lewis is in the lead. Nico behind him. Vettel. That'll behind both of them. Lewis admittedly, and the team agreed with it, was driving at a at a speed that would preserve his tires. Right. He was he was not pushing hard to open up the gap. He was preserving tires, preserve you know, preserving his spot. And admittedly, he had more pace. Nico's strategy apparently, and he mentioned it in a couple of the post-race articles and and in his rounds, Nico's strategy in his mind was to let Lewis do what Lewis was doing and to challenge him towards the end of the race for the lead. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with Lewis driving at the speed that he was driving and the pace that Vettel had, he couldn't maintain that because he was – Again, like Nico says, being backed into Vettel and had to drive harder than he wanted to to keep from falling behind Vettel. Which then brings up this question, and this is, has been basically Lewis's response. If Nico felt that Lewis was driving too slow and could have been driving more, 
why didn't Nico just pass him? Okay. Yes, I have the quote. Are you ready for that? Go for the quote. Okay. This is from Lewis, kind of basically his response. I won the race. I did the best job I could have done. But it's natural in a battle that if you haven't won, you feel frustrated. Last year, if I lost to him, I'd just go away and try to be better next time. I always want to win. If I had been the one... If I had been the one feeling that Nico wasn't going fast enough, I wouldn't have sat back. I would have been pushing. I don't know what he was thinking. And the last little bit of this. I want a guy to be on my ass pushing to pass me. If he's got the pace, if he's got enough, he'll pass me. Perhaps Nico was just comfortable in P2 and maybe that's the difference between us. I think that last sentence is the giant ouch of the whole thing. Well, a- actually, that is his John Stewart-like boom. Yep, is is exactly what that is. That that is now Lewis playing the mind games with Nico. It's the well, you know, if you wanted to win, you should have gotten your butt up there. Here's what we absolutely positively know about what happened from Washington. And, and you watch the video, you, you listen to the audio. This is what we know. Lewis was in the lead. Every time that Lewis was given a lap time to hit by his his race engineer, he hit it. And he hit it by the end of the lap he was given that direction. Mm-hmm. So the team was aware of the pace that he was driving. Nico turned around and radioed in and said, make Lewis drive faster. And in response to that, the team gave him another lap time delta to hit, and he hit it. Yeah. We know that. The other things that we know from the nature of just Formula One racing, Lewis as a driver 100% is focused on his race. Right. He is going to be – at the very least, he is going to be cognizant of the gap between him and Nico. Because that is the car immediately behind him. What is going on behind Nico? He probably has absolutely no visibility of. And as the race leader, probably could care less. Well, he just wants to make sure that the challenge is not, you know, where the challenge is and he deals with that. Um, they, The news boffins have gone and compared this a lot to last year's race where uh, Lewis was told to let Nico pass, that they were on different strategies and he was to let Nico pass. And Lewis, even on the radio, gave every indication of, but where is he? Because he was so far behind that he wasn't in a position to pass. Yeah, Lewis's quote was basically the, if Nico wants to pass me, have him get up here, but I'm just not going to let him by. Right, And it, it was a 100% valid comment, and the same thing goes here. If Nico wanted Lewis to drive faster, Nico should have challenged him. And Nico says that, well, you know, it would have been a battle, and I would have had to run up into Lewis's dirty air, and it would have wrecked my tires faster. Guess what? That's racing. That's racing. But Nico's trying to play this, like, publicity game that he's the team player and all of that but i don't see it well the bottom line here is that if nico wants the race to be about him 
and not to be about Lewis. And if Nico wants to control the strategy and everything that happens in that race, Nico knows the answer. We Which played is? this. We played this last week in Nico's own words. Just beat Lewis. <laughs> it, it's right there. Yeah. That is all he needs to do. And again, you know, it was pointed out this week. David Cothar. The only thing that Nico has to do is beat Lewis. It's that clear. If if you don't like the fact that Lewis is backing you up and Lewis is running his own race, just beat Lewis. <laughs> get in front of him. Yeah. Neutralize the problem. But just like Lewis said, Nico's comfortable being second fiddle. It it kind of sounds like it, and you know, Lewis or Nico rather turned around um, in our interview with Jenny. And besides the fact that he recognizes that the best thing—did you catch that? The best thing for the person up front for their race is to back the number two car into Vettel. He acknowledged it right away. Why should there have been any expectation for anything else to have happened? I don't I, – I, I fully don't understand that. So we end this race. Well, do, do we want to talk – do we want to wrap this whole discussion up with our comments from Mercedes non-executive director or whatever his title <laughs> is, racer emeritus? <laughs> Summer upper. Yeah. Back to Nikki Lauda. We open this with Nikki Lauda. We will end this with Nikki Lauda. Um, who knows something about rivalries knows something about rivalry knows something about how selfish racers can be freely admits that as a racer he was incredibly selfish um, as one of the comments that was made in uh, BBC's five live podcast is that if if Nico went up to Nikki and wanted to talk about selfish racers all Nikki had to do was say, look, at, look in the mirror, mm -hmm. because that is what racers are. N uh, Nikki's comments on this was, uh, sure, Hamilton will drive selfish. These guys, I call them egocentric bastards, let's say. And this is the only way to win a championship. It is the oldest thing. Nico does the same to Lewis and Lewis the same to Nico if the shit hits the fan, he said. I fully agree. This is the way it is. Therefore, we race. There is no friendship out there. When you, ha when you race, you have to fight. That's it. When you're upset, you make statements. But in the end, they will all cool down, go to Bahrain, and start all over again. The same fight. And guess what? Nikki, being prophetic apparently, is exactly right. We go to Bahrain, we fast forward, and it's the same fight. Yep. Now, the, the one last thing I will throw out there is... When Jenny Gao asked him what weapon he could have to possibly deal with this, Nico's response was five hundredths of a second. Mm -hmm. And he was right. That's, that's where he lost um, pole in China was five hundredths of a second. Unfortunately, this week in Bahrain, it was more than five hundred. Five hundredths of a second would have still put him behind Sebastian Vettel. Wow. Now, he freely admits that he underestimated Vettel's pace in Q3. He owns that he's in the P3 because he didn't step up in qualifying. 
That's great. I'm glad you can do that in the post-qualifying analysis. But this is where I see a big difference between Vettel and Hamilton and Rosberg. Because when they're out there doing their qualifying lap, I don't see Hamilton or Vettel, you know, taking it back a notch. Well, this year, Hamilton has learned his lesson. As you recall... Last year, Hamilton, in his rush to get out, he'd set this great this great lap. Then he would ratchet it back, and he would ratchet it back to the point that when Nico, who was pushing all the way through behind him and learned all the things that, that he saw Hamilton was doing, Nico would pip him at the very last second, and Hamilton didn't have a time, didn't have a chance to respond. Right. So this year, I think Lewis is realizing it. Now, Lewis. Admittedly, Lewis is trying to strike that balance. When he goes out after Nico, you end up with a situation like he ran into in Monaco where Nico goes and and intentionally, not intentionally, runs off and triggers a a yellow flag that he then can't beat the time. Or you end up like what happened at most of the other races last year of Lewis goes out, sets what he thinks is a blistering time, drops back, and now Nico goes and pips him. Nico hasn't been there this year. Right. I He's not there. I mean, that's the, the reality. I, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't five hundredths of a second this week in qualifying. Um, between second and third, between Nico and Seb, it was almost eight-tenths of a second. Hmm. It's a lot more than five hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Vettel now splits our, our, our Mercedes boys. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, the grid, the first four positions on the grid are going to line up pretty interesting. You're going to have Mercedes 1-3 right in front of each other. And you're going to have Ferraris 2-4. Mm-hmm. With the Williams right behind them. Yeah. So this could be very, very interesting. Now, I did not hear anything about the aggressive uh, start position that Hamilton took in China. Yeah. We've we've never seen this before. Mm -mm. Lewis took a start position. He was within his box, and I think that's why there was nothing done about it. Even though he was in his box— he was angled in his box over to the right. And the way – I don't remember who it had mentioned it, whether it was um, um, Cothart or not. But the, the way it was at least taken from the commentary box on the BBC coverage was that it was a very deliberate and distinct challenge and message to Nico by Lewis that said, when now those lights go off, I'm going that way. I'm headed right to the inside. I'm headed right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And he it, did. It was an aggressive measure. It was an aggressive move. It was, I'm going to take over. And he did. And he took Absolutely. the race. And he, he he set the pace for that entire race the entire day. And that's fine. I will be very interested to see if he uses a similar aggressive stance. You know, 
knowing Seb and the way Seb has been known to shoot, to rocket over to the inside just like that, just with without staging himself, I wouldn't be surprised if Lewis tries it again. Because Lewis knows if he doesn't get a good start, Seb's going to be right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so we've gone through the first four. Got Williams behind that in qualifying. Anybody else? We got some sort of notable back-end people. Like Button didn't even make a full lap. Button didn't. But, but where did Alonzo end up? He made it clean. I mean, it wasn't even close. He made it cleanly at a Q3. He got that McLaren up. Um, it was coming out of Q3. He was seventh. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, all that means is that you got out of Q3 because once you start Q2, those times go away. He ended up back ultimately in 17th. Um, at one point, he was 13th when—, when the session ended, he was 13th, but enough folks were still out on laps that he fell very quickly four, spot, four spots down the 17th. And the way Q uh, – actually, I'm backwards. Q1, they made it out of Q1 into Q2. Mm-hmm. The way Q3 ended with our top 10, it was very much the same way that um, – the times fell very quick once the lights uh once the session ended and the red lights came on uh there were enough folks on track that the times were just hitting like that mm-hmm. well that and that's part of strategy they tried their best to get over that line right as the the checkered flag goes so that that's they still are on a lap and make that lap their fastest lap well what I thought was odd about this strategy is typically what they like to do in qualifying is car goes out, you know, the, that first out lap because they've just come out of the pit. That's a, that's a slow, easy one so that their first full lap is their hot lap. That's a fast one. Then they typically do a cool down lap. Right. It's a slower lap, um, cools the tires, does a lets the heat cycle go through. And then they'll do another hot lap right after it if they need to do another one. For Lewis and a couple of others, because of the way the timing went with qualifying, they did your cool out lap, did the hot lap, followed by another hot lap because they didn't have enough time. They didn't leave enough time to be able to run that cool down lap. So Lewis's last lap was hot lap, hot lap. Um, yes and no, because you're a little bit confused. Okay. Shall I correct you? Sure. All right. Lewis and Nico, and I think even Seb, went out for the first three laps of Q3 on the scrub set of soft tires. Right. They didn't run on the qualifying set. Right. But they ran on a set of used softs. Mm-hmm. So they run on that. It's a three-mile circuit. There's an out lap, the hot lap, and then the cool-down lap. Nine miles, they make it back to the pits. Mm-hmm. Then they trade off their tires for right. a brand spanking new set of soft tires, which makes your scenario that they went out and did two back-to-back hot laps not what happened. They stopped for a little bit towards the end of the session, and then they all go back out on their brand spanking new well, sets of shoes. What, what they had done with this set of laps, with 
Q3 this time was there were some changes that were made to wings and whatever. They explained why they went out on the U set. Mm -hmm. That was a cider lap. And in some cases, they didn't even expect anybody to do a – they didn't expect some teams to do a full lap on those tires. It was just to see what the impact of those changes were going to be. But what they could have done and what we have seen done on many occasions when they do something similar is – car comes into the pits it's a relatively quick change these cars were rolled into the garage they sat into the garage for several minutes this time Mm -hmm. so they weren't left enough time to do cool lap hot lap cool lap hot lap correct that's what i'm saying okay that's not what you said though okay I just thought it was odd that they did not leave themselves enough time to do that. So instead, in order for Lewis to to get the time that he needed to hold on the pole, he had to do cool lap, hot lap, hot lap. Because of the way that their strategy went and the timing went. Yeah, but that's three miles less that they put on those tires. It's three miles less that they put on the car. Yeah, that they put on the car, not so much on the tires, because those tires that they used at the end of that those that new set, that was the only time those tires. Those are not race tires. The tires, this this was a change that happened last year. The tires that you use to set your fastest time in Q two, those are race tires. Those are tires that you will be starting your race on. Right, I understand that. But you are incorrect. Remember Malaysia. Mm -hmm. The reason that Lewis didn't have pace was because he had to use a set that were used during qualifying. Right, but they were not the final Q3 set he used. The new qualifying rules take that specific set of tires... Your, your last set of tires that you used in Q3, completely take them out of the mix. The idea is so that in qualifying, they push as hard as possible, and they don't have to worry about having to save those tires for race day. Okay. That's done specifically so that they dr- if they trash those tires, they don't have to worry about it. Because the concern was that they don't drive as fast as they could. You don't have as great a qualifying session because they want to save the tires because they know they're going to need them the next day. That's why they changed the rule. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why the, the, your race tires are the tires that come from Q2, not from Q3. Okay. Trust me. You'll have to go look it up now. No, because you haven't explained what was the issue. I understand that. But in Malaysia, Lewis ran out of soft tires. It was the number of tires they used in the previous qualifying sessions. Had nothing to do with what happened in Q3. They used a, a qualifying strategy. They came out on the softer tires earlier than normal. They even used the soft tire, and they did it this in, in Bahrain as well. Oh, so wait. You're telling me that because they used the soft tires in Q1 is why they didn't have them in Malaysia. I thought it was because they were using the soft tires in Q3. I think I've misunderstood the rule. Essentially, and, and I think it was not just in Q1. I think there, there was also some usage in, in uh, practice because it's the same set you get all weekend 
is my understanding. Yeah, I just looked up the sets of tires. Mm-hmm. Um, that's as clear as mud. It is. And, and you and, know what? If you go to James Allen F1, he does this really detailed analysis. And if you have an engineering degree, probably a doctorate, you'll understand it. I, I don't have an engineering degree and <laughs> definitely not a doctorate. I got lost about the time that they said that there were 13 sets of the dry weather tire. And yet every time they turn around, they have to keep turning a set in. And then they keep turning a set in. And then they keep turning a set. I, I don't know how they have any tires on the car at the end of qualifying. Well, see, that's why tire management is such a big deal. But, but it's not, not only- managing if the Pirelli requires that you keep turning them in all the time. Well, it, it's not only that, but there is this – I think we had seen this a couple of years ago. There is a really complex inventory system that goes – each tire has a barcode. There, It's, yeah. it's this match set of four. Um, I think Pirelli is the one who actually mounts them. Scans them in. They're they're coded for the specific car, for the specific position, and for the driver. And it, but the teams can use them whenever they want. But once they have used them, they go back to even if they go and destroy the tire because it is exploded, it goes back to Pirelli because Pirelli does a root cause analysis to figure out what it was. That, oh yeah, there was a piece of carbon fiber, whatever. Pastor Maldonado, you know, <laughs> they, they make that call. Do you, do you think that they, you know, they probably like have to code all the different, you know, reasons for destroying? How many pastor codes are there? <laughs> How many different pastor codes are there? Yeah, no. In looking at this, you know, they're given all these tires at the beginning, and then at the end of free practice one, they have to turn in a set of tires. But then before free practice, free practice, free practice two, they have to turn in a set of tires. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how does that set of tires get even you? And, you know, like, here we are in Bahrain, in the desert, and because the rules say they have to have it, each team has, and they have been brought to Bahrain, intermediate tires and full wet tires, which I believe, by the way, not only are they there, but they will never actually be run because they're they're dedicated to the track and to the race. Mm-hmm. So even though we may go to Barcelona next week and it may rain, these tires that went to to Bahrain won't get used. No, they get to just travel. They are better traveled than we are. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's uh, Tire Confusion 101. We <laughs> could do the Steve Mashett segment at this point. Well, that's because – well, we if we were going to do the Steve Mashett segment, we would have had to have started off with that it was sponsored by Mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes, we we could have done that. But we also really needed to stand in the studio with all four of the tire options in front of us so that we could awkwardly sit on them. No, he doesn't sit on the tires. Only the drivers sit on the tires at the car launches. Yes. But, uh, yes, we explained to you which is the prime tire and which is the regular and how the prime tire changes. And we're not doing that. No. It's because we don't have examples here in the studio. We'll have to write to Pirelli. I think <laughs> right after we write I, to Marusha, I, I would bet that Pirelli is less likely to respond to us than Marusha. You know, somewhere on the F one site, they used to have the little bitty like tire demo things, the little the little sample looking things. The you miniature. mean in the store you in could the buy? The, yeah, I haven't. You could seen buy them. the key rings. Yeah, 
Well, it, it, it was the two things. You could buy the key ring, and you could get the um, – I, and it was only in the iPhone 4, but the iPhone 4 bumper. Yes. <laughs> with the appropriate markings on it. Now, I, as I recall, the inters and the wets, they weren't textured. So that would have been really cool. Oh, that a little wet texture and yeah, but that's you know four iPhones ago. Yeah. So, you know, we we are now into Bahrain. We will see. There was a lot of talk and a lot of hype that this could be a rematch of last year's fantastic Lewis Nico battle. Even before this whole thing unwound, I didn't think we were going to have a repeat of it. However, now I think there is a pretty good possibility that there could be a good Seb Lewis battle. I think that will be very interesting. I mean, I, I think there's a really good potential for a Seb Lewis battle and a Kimi Nico battle and then a battle between the Williams. Because the Williams are not that far off. And last year, this was where we really saw the Williams get into it. Well, I don't know if you know this little piece of drama about Hamilton and Vettel just yet. Okay. Do you know that this pole position marks Hamilton's 42nd pole in his F1 career? Okay. Do you know who the next highest pole number is? Juan Manuel Fangio. Wrong. Oh. Sebastian Vettel, Vettel has <laughs> 45. Okay. So Seb's going to lose that record this year. So if Hamilton continues to get pole position, it is reasonable that in a fairly fast time, he's going to match and then beat Seb's record. Where I don't think that Seb is going to get challenged by Lewis, though, is in number of race wins. Seb's got a lot, and yeah. I don't think that Lewis is going to be anywhere close. And he's, like, highest for U.K. drivers, but I don't think overall in all time he'll be able to challenge. No, I think we're going to start hearing a lot of stuff about him challenging the pole position records. Mm -hmm. He's a couple of seasons away from challenging, I think it's the all-time record is Schumacher. Um, but, and I think he's up at, like, 68 and Ayrton Senna is just behind him in the 60s. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we're going to have, like, some lean years for that. But he's going to challenge. I mean, he'll have the most pole of current racers here shortly. All righty. Well, we will see what happens. Uh, the race is still a few hours away. Well, maybe a little more than that. By the time you hear this, the race is over. But for us, the race is still a few hours away. Uh <laughs> Yes. It's the one thing that makes this incredibly complex. Well, it's because we don't want to record Sunday night because it gives you no time for editing. Yeah, and editing is important. We need that. <laughs> Occasionally. That way, that way you can hear what Nico had to say as he was complaining that Lewis was backing him up and Lewis was doing his job. <laughs> yes. So since you don't like to be up until 2 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night. No. Makes for bad weeks. If you start complaining, it's very bad. Yeah. Um, we do this differently. So we're very appreciative of the fact that our listeners, which is a growing audience, and we appreciate that very, very much. Yes. Yeah, see, now we know you're out there. Now it's time for you to start speaking up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, based on the number of listeners and the folks that we know are friends of us over on the Facebook page, you guys got to start liking us over on Facebook. You got to start commenting on over at uh, com. We need to hear from you. We need to know that you're here. You know, just like Horton hears a who and, and we are we, here. <laughs> we we have to hear this. We need this. We giant elephants who hear little bitty who's? Uh, right now we are not because we're not hearing anything. <laughs> See? Well, hopefully some of our new fans or old fans or friends will reach out and say hi. Uh. Oh, and the last thing I need to correct. Oh, my word. We corrected it in the post. Oh, yes. But we did not mention it in the show. Just to be 100% completely clear, for the good of the world, we are not up on, on Spotify. We are, however, on Stitcher. Yes. We get along with Stitcher. There's a link to Stitcher on the page. You made up with Stitcher. You two were no longer having complicated relationship yes. problems. Well, it may still be a little complicated, but we we are up on Stitcher. If you're a Stitcher user, make sure you, you go ahead and subscribe to us over there. We'd love a review over there. We'd like a review over on iTunes, too, because we're on iTunes. We've been there longer because they're easier to get into, apparently. <laughs> but... <laughs> Apparently, hey. iTunes is not as picky as Stitcher. You know, my next thing is to target our friends over on Blueberry. They they uh, now claim to have one of the largest podcast directories in the world, so we have to get on them next. Mm. But, uh, yeah, slowly we are taking over the world <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But uh, other than that, I think uh, we'll wrap this up, uh, eagerly await the – racing of this year's uh, Bahrain Grand Prix and call it a show. Mm-hmm.